Peter, chapter 2. That's where we get the second. The title should be The Hope of Submission. The Hope of Submission. No doubt uh, somewhere along the line you've heard someone complain, but that isn't fair. You've heard that before? And you've said, well, life isn't fair. Now, we're born with a strong inner sense of fairness and strong desire to fight for our rights when we think we've been treated unfairly. And although we all know that life isn't fair, we're prone to fight back when we're victims of some unfair treatment. Uh, for instance, let's assume that uh, you're a conscientious worker on your job. I'm sure all of you are who are still working. And uh, some of you who don't have what we call a job are still working. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're out on a job, you are very careful as a conscientious worker not to extend your lunch break or uh, sometimes uh, stay late on your own time to finish a job. Uh, you, you're careful not to waste uh, company time with excessive chit-chat. Uh, your hard work uh, uh, and production for the, is for the company. Because you're a Christian, you don't go out drinking after hours with the boss, and you don't swap the latest, dirtiest, dirty jokes with them. And uh, yet there might be another worker who's a goof-off. Ever worked with a goof-off? I think we all have uh, been there sometime or another uh, where someone was uh, just didn't quite uh, put in 100%, and you wondered if even they could muster up 50%. If they come in late, they spend uh, time chatting with others and taking long lunches and doing sloppy work. But uh, And they also, uh, you know, go carousing, maybe even with the boss, and they tell dirty jokes and so forth. And then when a promotion comes up, they get the promotion. And you say, that's not fair. Well, life isn't fair. And uh, the important question is, how do you respond when you're treated unfairly? How should you respond? Should you defend yourself? Should you stand up for your rights? I've got my rights. Well, how should a Christian respond when treated unfairly? That's the question that Peter is addressing here in verses 18 through 20. My guess is you may not like the answer. And I can guess that because I don't like the answer either. You know, humanly speaking, with uh, the way uh, we, we look at things often, but uh, his answer really is when we're treated unfairly by a superior, we should submissively endure by entrusting ourselves to God, the righteous judge. And this principle is easy to state but hard to apply. You can say it, but it's hard to actually do it. And how broadly we can apply this to even modern life principles, 
uh, that were given to slaves. And that's really uh, who he was addressing here, and yet we don't have that kind of a relationship at, with our, our bosses, I hope. You know, some, uh, some of you uh, men who aren't out at the job anymore, maybe you feel like a slave at home, you know. I got to do everything around here. I always tell them that I got to do everything around here. Of course, it's not true. But, uh, you know. But is it always wrong to defend yourself? Are we as Christians supposed to be doormats? How do we harmonize this text? How do we, how do we get this uh, lined up with what uh, the Lord says, Jesus says, and Paul says? They defended themselves. They verbally attacked their accusers uh, at times. And there are some issues I think we need to think through in applying this text properly. So the first thing is submission and its implications. Submission and its implications. Uh, Peter, again, as I was saying, was addressing uh, slaves, but he says here servants. Uh, in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. He's addressing servants, and the word um, probably referring to household servants, uh, not necessarily domestic employees, but they were slaves. Uh, they belonged as property to their owners. And we would say, well, that's not fair. Slavery is evil. Uh, slave owners were wrong. Slaves shouldn't be uh, have to submit to an unjust authority. They should revolt. That isn't the biblical approach. If you're going to make the social evil of slavery right, the biblical approach was to exhort slave owners to treat their slaves with dignity and fairness. They were even to view them as brothers and sisters in the faith. For example, Philemon. Uh, if you read that about him, you'll find that uh, he was to, uh, or they were to view the slaves as brothers and sisters in, in the faith. Slaves were exhorted to be good, submissive workers. They had the opportunity to gain their freedom. Well, fine. Otherwise, they were to be good slaves in submission to their owners. It wasn't a quick fix for the evil of slavery. It didn't result in a slave revolt, although eventually it did topple slavery. But in the meanwhile, it demonstrated Christ-likeness within the existing social structure. So how do we apply that to today? We don't see this kind of uh, operation, although it's not necessarily something that isn't in the world. It is in the world in various places. We just don't see it in our culture, in our society. We aren't slaves to our employers, although we may feel like it sometimes. You know, 
You go down there to the factory and you put your ball and chain on and you get to work, right? No, that's, that's not really the relationship you have. But uh, um, is it wrong to defend yourself and stand up for your rights if you're violated by, the, by an employer? Well, that's the American way. But is it Bible way? God's way is for us to identify the nature of the relationship. Am I under the authority of the person who's treating me unfairly? And that's the, really going to be the first question we're going to get to here in a little bit. God has ordained various spheres of authority. God is the supreme authority overall, of course. But under God, there's a sphere of human government. We see this in, in this particular chapter. We looked at it last week in verses 13 through 17. You see it in Romans chapter 13. And then there's the sphere of the family. Husbands have authority over wives. And we'll see that in chapter 3 in the first part. And then you also find that in Ephesians chapter 5. And then parents over children. Ephesians chapter 6. Then there's the sphere of the church. Pastors have authority over the flock. You'll see that here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and then also in Hebrews 13. And then there's the sphere of employment, which we're talking about here tonight. It can be either forced as in slavery or voluntary. And the employees become subject to to their employers. And that's what we're looking at here tonight. Now once we've identified whether or not we're under the authority of the person, then we can examine our attitude and our motives and ask, do I have a proper attitude of submission or am I selfishly fighting for my rights? Now if I'm truly submissive and I'm not acting out of selfish reasons, I would argue that there is a proper place for respectful communication that seeks to clarify maybe a problem, maybe where there is a difficulty and, and clarify falsehood and promote truth. In other words, if our attitudes and motives are in submission to God, we need not always silently endure unjust treatment. So there's a proper place for self-defense and confronting errors. And I make this point because many take the oversimplistic and erroneous view that Christians must always endure mistreatment in silence. And if you try to defend yourself, that's wrong. But Jesus himself did not do this. Neither did the Apostle Paul. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, and then we talk uh, about Jesus in John chapter 8, the Jews attacked Jesus' character and his authority by saying he was bearing false witness about himself. and uh, He did not silently endure that, but he had defended himself, having been sent from the Father, and he attacked those critics by saying that they were of their father, the devil. Well, that's not a passive, silent response. But Jesus was passive when he was attacked by the Pharisees. 
um, for their hypocrisy. Um, also, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and he's, he wrote Galatians and parts of other uh, epistles to defend his character and ministry when it was under attack. So how do we harmonize these vigorous self-defenses uh, with Peter's exhortation here of seemingly silent submission? It seems to me there are several factors I think we need to consider in defending myself or silently bearing the reproach. Some questions that I think we need to ask. Number one, am I under the authority of the one attacking me? We kind of alluded to this already. Am I under the authority of the one attacking me? Well, if so, I need to examine my life to see if there's something that I did to provoke the attack. If I deserve punishment, well, so be it. I may need to ask the person to help me with uh, seeing something I don't see. I may need an explanation. If I uh, conclude that superior is simply out to get me because I'm a Christian, I probably need to bear the unfair treatment patiently for Christ's sake. Another question is, is God's word called into question or ridiculed? If so, I can clearly defend the truth. When Jesus was being mocked at the trial before the Sanhedrin. He was silent until the, until the high priest said this. He said, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ the Son of God. And Jesus couldn't remain silent to that question. So he answered, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto thee, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So Jesus answered that when the truth of, God's, uh, of God was being called into question or it was ridiculed. A third question concerns our witness. If I'm being falsely attacked, I need to ask myself, how can I bear witness or the most effective witness for Jesus Christ? Is getting all mad and, and angry and getting back and getting into a shouting match, is that going to bear witness for Jesus Christ? Now, it may be that a quiet but confident answer you know, a soft answer, what's that do? Turns away wrath. And sometimes that's, that's just what's needed. So the main principle is, am I under the authority of a person who's acting unfairly? If I am, then I can appeal to the proper attitude of submission. But if this appeal fails, I must submit. Now, that doesn't mean I need to remain under authority for the rest of my life. Sometimes there's a time and a place to get out from corrupt authority. And yes, you have to be careful. Now, there's a place for Christians to flee a corrupt government. We have ancestors that did that. If we, I go back in my family tree, 
There were uh, family members that left areas of what was then called Prussia, and they were being persecuted for their religion, for their faith, and they fled to America. That's why I'm here tonight instead of in Russia. You know, because I had great-grandparents that uh, left under that uh, persecuting uh, government, corrupt government. There's a time to get out from under corrupt spiritual authority. A time for moving on from a bad employer. But if we move too quickly many times, we may miss what God is seeking to do with us in that difficult situation. Not only for us, but for the person that we're dealing with. God may want to teach us some hard lessons. He may want us to be a, a witness uh, th uh, through us. So we need to be careful not to act too quickly. You know, that's the old thing of getting upset and angry and says, well, that's it, I quit. Uh, what's that going to do? It's not going to be a very good witness. There may be a time to move on, but uh, throwing a fit and saying things that you should not be saying is not going to help your, your witness. Then there's submission and its intentions. And we're dealing here with the motives, and there's a couple of things here that are very similar to what we've been talking to, but the first of all, the primary motive is to please God. Verse 18 again says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the, to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And uh, it says, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, in previous verses, Peter had distinguished between fearing God and honoring the king. Verse 17. But here he says, we should be submissive with all fear. That fear is not toward the employer, but it's toward God. Not fearing your earthly master, but fearing God. Now, in twice, as we go in verse 19, it says, For this is thankworthy. And then I just skip down into verse 20. And notice there, it says, This is acceptable with God. Both of those phrases, this is thankworthy and this is acceptable with God, are basically the same uh, idea, the same words. Peter's language here reflects the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus was teaching about loving your enemies, and he uses the phrase, what thank have ye? And the word thank there is the same word for grace. It's the word charis in the Greek. And so, uh, and it means accepted or favor. And no doubt in Peter's mind, what favor? Same Greek word as acceptable here. The idea is that God gives grace. Again, those, that's the same word for thank 
or thankworthy or acceptable. God gives grace to the humble, not to the defiant, not to the assertive, not to the self-reliant. And if we defy authority which God has placed over us, we are, in effect, defying God himself. And so, conscious of God, we're to seek to submit to please him, trusting him to deal with the unjust authority. You know, one way to apply this consciously uh, to, is to recognize you don't work primarily for your employer. You should view your work as working for God. This happens that you have a, a boss that tells you what to do. The man in an airplane that was delayed on the ground and passengers were getting increasingly impatient one obnoxious man kept venting his frustrations at, the, frustrations at the flight attendant, and she responded graciously and courteously in spite of his verbal abuse. After they finally got airborne, things kind of calmed down. The man called the woman aside and said, I want to get your name so I can, this was uh, the man who was observing all this, not the man that was abusive, but the man that was observing this. He says, I want to get your name so I can write a letter of commendation to your employer. And she, he was surprised when she responded, thank you, sir, but I don't work for American Airlines. He sputtered, no, you don't? No, I work for my Lord Jesus Christ. And she went on to explain that before every flight, she and her husband would pray together that she would be a good representative for Christ on her job. If you've ever been on an airplane and there's anything that goes a little bit wrong or there's any delays, there's always going to be somebody that's going to give trouble. And uh, I don't suppose every flight attendant handles that very well, but this young lady did. Because she wasn't working for the airline, she was working for God. And she wanted to be a good representative. The other motive for submission is a secondary intention, and that is to bear witness to the lost. And the issue of a slave's response to his master had far-reaching cultural implications in that day when there were millions of slaves. And so if a Christian was defiant, well, people could have accused Christianity for stirring up a rebellion, undermining the whole uh, society around them. And so the theme of our witness to the pagan world underlies this section. It says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffer wrongfully, for what glory is it if be you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently, but if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. And then verse 21, we see that even here unto were ye called because, why? Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. His unjust suffering and Peter uses this word instead of death to relate to his readers who were suffering. 
His unjust suffering, His unjust death, secured our salvation in a substitutionary sense. Peter goes on to make this clear in the rest of this chapter here. But in similar but not totally uh, analogous way, our unjust suffering can lead to the salvation of lost people if they see the character of Christ in us when we suffer. You know, the attitude of fighting for our rights communicates to the world that we're living for things of this world. Submitting to unfair treatment and giving up our rights communicates the truth. We're just, what, pilgrims and strangers. We're not here permanently. This is a temporary living arrangement. And if we're treated unfairly at our job, you may uh, be looking at a tremendous opportunity to be a witness for Christ by, by your behavior. If you yield your rights in a Christ-like manner, people will notice that. And they may wonder, well, why doesn't he fight for his rights? Maybe you'll get an opportunity to tell them why. If so, your words are backed up by a powerful testimony of your good works. You've demonstrated what it means to live under God's authority. Now, this probably raises a question of whether or not it's proper for us to, you know, for Christians to, and I don't necessarily get into a, a debate about this. Some of you might have belonged to trade unions, but <laughs> that's kind of a, uh, an area that is debatable among Christians. It's a sensitive issue, I understand, but, and I, we won't deal with it tonight, but... Uh, I would just say in passing that you need to think through whether you bear witness in a Christ-like spirit in submission to God and to your employer by belonging to an organization that always is fighting for its rights. And that's what unions really are all about, is fighting for your rights and fighting for this and fighting for that. Well, the implication of submission is one in which we're under authority. The intentions for submission are to please God and to bear witness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for...